Hey, it's Brandon. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Zenium is supporting small and medium-sized companies for their HR, payroll, benefits, manager development programs, and so much more. And by the way, on 4-1, we are launching our annual Beyond Compensation Survey. This is your chance to figure out how you stack up against other employers in terms of perks and benefits. One point of contact signs up for the survey. They get to fill out everything that you do from an organization, 401k match, PTO, holidays, benefit programs, all that stuff. And then what we're going to do is analyze all the data and we'll show you how you compare to the market. Sign up at ZeniumHR forward slash beyond compensation. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Okay, this episode is with somebody from Zenium internally. We've got Nicole Blevins on the podcast. I interviewed her about a year ago after she joined Zenium team. She moved all the way from Florida. She was a listener of this podcast and joined us and has been such a great team member for us. And she recently got certified in mediation. And so this podcast, we're discussing what that process was like, what makes an effective mediator, and basically, well, you know, why you would need to use a mediator in the workplace. <laughs> Spoiler, it's usually when it escalates to a point where you need to bring in a third party to really solve this problem. But Nicole dives into all that stuff and more. We have a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, any of those places. I, I will reach back out to you and reply if, if you follow me there. And uh, enjoy. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Nicole. It's good to have you. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. I was just just looking that the last time that we had a conversation on this podcast was almost exactly a year ago. So I published an episode about what it's like moving across the country, (laughs) taking the leap of faith and joining the Zenium team. And that was, I released that on February 11th. And a year has gone by and it's just crazy to think because I still remember that conversation. Like we were sitting in my office and that was like one of the last conversations I probably had in person. <laughs> yeah. Probably the last in-person conversation. Yeah. Of 2020. Um, I, yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, Oh, that was in February and here we are recording in February again. I know that's bizarre. Yeah. Give people a refresher. So in that episode, you know, we talked about, how you moved cross country to join Zenium. How'd that all come about? You can just give a quick little update. Yeah. So I learned about Zenium through listening to this podcast, actually, when I was in my master's degree program in Florida. And so I used to listen to the Transform Your Workplace podcast pretty much 
daily on my way to classes, on the way back home from classes. I had about a 45 minute drive. So I went back and listened to old podcasts because <laughs> you guys don't, you know, we don't post daily podcast episodes. So yeah, I'm excited to be on it again. I was really nervous the first time I was on. I'm, I'm more comfortable now that I've been at Zenium for a year. Yeah, I'd say you're fully immersed into our culture now and no reason to be nervous to come on this podcast just because it's just you and me having a conversation. You know, what's interesting about you this whole year, I've noticed how growth oriented you are. I mean, I think last couple of weeks you were posting the fact that you had taken all these courses on like uh, LinkedIn learning. What what are some of the courses that you've taken recently? Yeah. Well, I started taking courses on LinkedIn learning slash Linda, whatever um, it's called now, uh, because 2020 really passed me by. Like it, it just went by so fast. And I was like, wow, I feel like I did a whole lot of nothing <laughs> in 2020. And so I started just watching courses about how to make goals, right? How to plan your year and and make smart goals. So those were mainly the courses I was looking at is how to have effective goals, how to stay motivated, how to keep with those goals. And then I fell into the rabbit hole of all the other cool stuff that there is on LinkedIn Learning and Linda. And there's really great even HR courses on, you know, um, race in the workplace, having conversations about race and just other hot topics that have come up this over the past year. So goals, how to have difficult conversations, conflict resolution stuff as well. Lots of different stuff. There's so much on there. That's awesome. You just mentioned conflict resolution. And and actually, this is what we're talking about today. You recently got certified in mediation. Congratulations on that. Thank you. What was that process like? Why did you decide to go down that road of becoming a certified mediator? And what does that even mean, really? Yeah. What's the certification? All good questions. So I decided that I wanted to do it just really from like I said earlier, like reflecting on the past year and just feeling like I did a whole lot of nothing in 2020 and just also seeing just the large amount of conflict and difficult conversations that were coming up in the workplace and outside of the workplace. And it made me just kind of feel like, wow, is there anything that I can do to be able to be more helpful in situations where there's so much conflict and people are just at a loss on like, how can we move forward from here? Like, what are the options? You know, people a lot of times just get stuck in their own positions or sides and it's hard to move past conflict. So, that brings in the conversation of mediation and what is mediation and what does it do? And really, a lot of people think mediation is, oh, we're going to insert this third person to solve the issue for you, right? Solve the conflict. And really, the role of the mediator is just to be an impartial third party and to listen to both sides of the situation and really just ask good open-ended questions to facilitate the conversation and move things forward so that the two parties can come to a resolution on their own. So the mediator is not deciding the resolution or the outcome, but just really helping two people push past that conflict and get a deeper understanding as to like what they need in order to move forward and come to a resolution. And there's some like contract writing at the end where you write an agreement that both parties sign and adhere to. So I can get into the whole technicalities of it, but that's kind of the gist of like 
what it is and why I wanted to do it. And it was a lot of work. (laughs) It was three weeks of intense like courses and training and role play, but it was a lot of fun. And I learned so much that's good for like my personal life in general, (laughs) as well as kind of helping clients and actually conducting mediations. Yeah. How do you get certified? Is it through a school? Is it through the state? What is it? Yeah, good question. So a lot of different local organizations will provide the training and the certification course so you get your certificate. Um, The one that I did was the City of Beaverton Center for um, Mediation and Conflict Resolution because it was just very near to me. Um, But there's Resolutions Northwest. There's a lot of different organizations that have experienced certified mediators that will train these courses. And it's usually about three weeks. And for my purposes, we met about three times a week from like 8.30 in the morning to 1.30 in the afternoon. So a big chunk of the day. And in person or is it virtual? Well, virtual right now. Yeah, pre-COVID, it was in person. Um, But yeah, it was all virtual through Zoom, which was a really interesting experience as well because it was the first time they had done it that way. So there was a lot of learning and role-playing and that type of thing. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was very interactive, very hands-on. I got a big binder full of Ooh. materials that we did in the course, which was pretty cool. So I've got a manual here that I can kind of look back and that I took notes on, which was great. And then, yeah, at the end, we just basically had a role-play where we were acting as a mediator for a particular situation and we were evaluated by um, other experienced mediators to to pass. You know what's fascinating about mediation is that, I mean, people are just nuanced and they're complicated and sometimes irrational. And yeah. I don't know how you train for something like that. You know, I'm sure like all the role plays are really helpful. But like when you step into a real situation, I'm very curious how you will take everything that you've learned and sort of walk through that. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you thought about that too? Yeah. When I first started in the training and they were doing like role plays and talking through examples, it's really interesting because when I first started, I was like, oh, that's a tough situation. I don't know how they're going to move past that. Or like, you know, really new starting, I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, there's no way they're going to resolve that conflict. It's so interesting how now that I've taken it, my perspective on that has completely changed in that like wow, all it takes is like bringing people together, right? And asking the right questions at the right time and like picking up on body language and emotions and like empathizing how like just these little things can totally transform a conversation. And I've definitely already started putting my skills to use. Um, I personally, like with my husband and I, um, not that there's a whole ton of conflict, but anytime like something comes up that we disagree on, he'll give a a difference of opinion and I'll be like, hmm, that's interesting. So like, tell me more about that. Or I'll ask questions now instead of just like responding and, you know, giving my position. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's freaked him out a little bit. (laughs) He's kind of like, why are you asking me so many questions? This is weird. But it's like, it really has transformed my entire perspective on conflict in general and just how little simple things that I think we all innately know, right? We all innately know how to empathize and how to listen actively and, and things like that, but really putting it into practice um, can totally change change the outcome of a pretty serious conflict. 
Have you found any work situations, not necessarily people at work, but with clients you're working with where it's like they're having, you know, employee conflict problems and you're like, okay, wow, now I can get to work on this. Have you found some of those situations already? Yeah, I just got certified, right? And so little disclaimer, mediation, the process is voluntary, right? So usually both parties are like, yes, I agreed to mediation. And there's, you know, we go through what that looks like and what the process is. So um, I definitely have tested, so not done like a full scale mediation with, with any of my clients, but I have definitely tested the skills that I learned with a particular client situation that literally came up like the day after I finished the training and, and all of that. Wow. So I won't go into like the nitty gritty details of it, of course, right. but I'll just kind of share a little tidbit. Um, this was a situation where an employee texted her manager late at night, essentially bad mouthing her manager directly to her manager. So she sent it to the wrong person. Oh no. Yeah. It was not intended. <laughs> For the manager. Um, And so the manager called me the next day and described the scenario and that she was really upset, disappointed, felt a loss of trust in this employee, didn't know how she would ever be able to face the employee or talk to the employee again. Um, And, you know, was kind of looking for some guidance from me as their HR partner to tell them, like, what do I do with this? Can I write the person up? Can I, you know, what can I do? And it's, interesting how situations like that come up a lot in HR to where you've got two employees where there's a conflict or a personality clash or communication issue. There's nothing HR can do, right? Like it happened outside of work. There was nothing discriminatory or harassing in the text messages, just but it was hurtful. expressing how they feel about their manager, right? And hurtful. Um, and so I said, you know, there, we can't write them up. There's not a whole lot we can do in that, but why don't we jump on a call with you and the employee and myself, and I'll just kind of facilitate a conversation between the two of you so that we can try and move past this. And that's exactly what I did. And it turned out amazingly. Like it shifted wow. from the manager saying, how am I ever going to trust this employee? Or like, I don't know how I'm going to work with this person to, you know, there was emotions and crying and like people sharing and me asking questions on like, how can we best work together moving forward to like them both wanting to virtually hug it out right at the end and just really turn over a new leaf. So there's just so many things like that, that I feel like it's so beneficial um, to have this impartial third party mediator to really facilitate those conversations. Yeah. That's so interesting how, a mediated meeting like that can flip the scenario around from I'm never going to talk to that person ever again, or like, I can't work with this person to let's find some common ground and build mm-hmm. on our relationship. It is, it's all about communication. And so I like that the third party can facilitate and ask the right questions. What are the, what are some of the questions that you're asking? Like, I don't know if you can share some of those secrets of mediation, but I'd love to, (laughs) I'd love to hear it. So if you're mediating me at some point, I'll know what manipulated games you're playing (laughs) with me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, it really depends on the situation, but I would say the most important thing is that they're open-ended questions, right? So as a mediator, right, you're an impartial third party, so you don't want to ask leading questions 
or questions that are just going to get you a yes or no answer because the goal is to get the parties talking, right? To keep the people talking. And so you do that by asking open-ended questions. So um, in the scenario I just mentioned that I tried out with one of my clients, some of the questions that I asked was, can you tell me more about how you felt when you received that message? So really asking those questions so they can fully express their feelings. So there's that venting portion, right? That that both right. parties feel that they've been heard, which is really important. So asking open-ended questions like, how did that make you feel? Um, what was your perception of when this person used that word, you know, in, in the text message? Mm-hmm. So unpacking that and then moving to asking more open-ended questions that are more forward-thinking, right? So now that we've unpacked the situation, we've gotten everything out on the table, how can we move forward? And asking open-ended questions as, what would it look like for both of you to trust each other again? Mm. So asking questions that help paint a picture. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It almost sounds like a painted picture in a way. Like they can vividly see it and act it out in the future. Exactly. Yeah. And just have them kind of express what that looks like to them. And it might be different for both of them, right? What trust means to one person might be different to another person. So allowing them both to paint their picture, for lack of a better term, or really share what that looks like to both of them. And what you find is once you start asking those forward questions and they're painting their pictures and they're describing what they would like to see in order to trust each other again. That's when the collaboration starts. And really at that point, I kind of feel like as a mediator, I'm like, all right, like they're they're just talking and I don't even need to ask questions anymore. Time, yeah, time to step back. Right. Because they're just asking each other questions. Well, well, yeah, I can definitely talk to you and give you a call if I'm feeling this way or if I'm frustrated rather than venting by texting some other person, right? So they really start talking to each other and saying, well, what about this? Or I I can do this. Would that work better for you? And then as a mediator, if the conversation comes to a halt or they're not having that collaboration, that's when I would want to come in and ask another question and, and keep moving things forward. So I think that's really the value in mediation is having like a third party that's impartial, that's removed from the situation and just there to ask questions to get the people talking is so transformative because when it's just two people in a conflict, right, they a lot of times can't ask those questions or don't want to because they're so stuck in just this is my perception and this is my perception. Yeah, or like I've already made a stand or here's my opinion on something. I'm not going to change it. So, you know, there's it's not productive without asking the right questions like that. Right. Exactly. It is always fascinating to me. It's like how conflict happens. It's, you know, two people or more people who just can't get away from their side or whatever it is. And, and just even hearing you talk about that solution, it's like, wow, it's so simple. It's asking simple questions to get them talking and have an understanding of each of their sides, like how easy, right? But I think too often we just get wrapped up into the emotions and don't understand the other person's point of view because we never let them have a chance. Right. Or just ask those questions to really get an understanding of like what that person's underlying need is, right? We can sit there and say, oh, my feelings were hurt. My feelings were hurt. But it's really important to say, why? Can you, can you tell me why 
um, you were so hurt by this? How did that impact you to really get to the underlying need or underlying reason, which is trust was deteriorated, right? There's a lack of trust now and, and really digging deep into what it is that's causing that surface emotion of I'm hurt by this. Yeah. What are, I mean, you gave a perfect example there, but what are other types of work environment situations that would be perfect for mediation? Now, if you, you know, if you could think of situations that just never get to mediation, because maybe they didn't know it was an option or they don't have the tools. What, yeah. What are those situations? Yeah. The example I just gave, of course, but I would say another one would be um, personality or communication type of conflicts. A lot of time there's two employees that aren't working very well together because there's some type of personality or communication clash that they can't move past, right? Because neither person's willing to like talk about it, right? And address the elephant in the room, for lack lack of a better term. <laughs> um, and so it just kind of is left alone and it festers. And then eventually when us in HR get the call, right, is when this person has an outburst and yells in a meeting or something. And then now oop, we got to pull in HR or kind of figure things out from there. Um, so I feel like mediation can be really beneficial in situations where you're noticing there's that type of clash or there's some type of conflict and addressing it early on rather than just kind of saying, oh, they'll work it out or, you know, it'll figure itself out. Um, Because if I've learned anything in my years of HR in general, it never (laughs) works out, right? Leaving it alone and not addressing it never is a good option um, (laughs) for those types of scenarios. So I would say that. Um, And then I would also say even harassment or discrimination types of claims. So in the training, they talked a lot about that, about how mediation will sometimes be recommended by attorneys or by other organizations or people as a step before actually hitting the court system, right? Or suing Mm -hmm. an employer or suing someone for harassment or discrimination. So even in those types of situations, like when you're seeing the employees making these comments, like these offhanded comments to where you think it might be going down that path, really opening it up to have a conversation and have a mediation come in and facilitate a conversation between those two people to address the concerns and the conflict before it becomes a bigger issue, like I mentioned, and, and the employee is is saying, oh, well, I feel harassed or discriminated because this was never addressed. So even some of the role play examples that we did in the training had to do with harassment and discrimination types of situations as well. Yeah. So with, with those types of situations where it's maybe the step before the court system, are you documenting or if, if you can solve it, are you documenting like an agreement between the two parties? And in even that first scenario that you gave, are you mm-hmm. creating some sort of agreement, even with some of the basic ones, you know, not as crazy as like discrimination or harassment, but Yeah, it just depends. Um, In that scenario, I did not because it was not like a formal mediation, right? Where I was like, I'm going to mediate and I'm, you know, here's all the check boxes that I'm going to do. It was more kind of me like testing the waters, right? Like dipping my toe in a little bit on facilitating these conversations and trying to simulate a mediation experience. So in that scenario, no, but in most others, I would say, yes, you would document it in the form of an agreement. And 
the agreement is binding. And so a, a good portion of the training was spent on like how to document an effective agreement because it's really important that you're being specific and like how to make sure that the agreements or the touch points you're putting in there are like specific, measurable, like the SMART goal type of thing. So a lot of time was spent on that. But there are some mediation situations where an agreement is not necessary. So in just a personality conflict type of situation, or actually an example that came up in the mediation training was like two friends that had a disagreement two years ago. And ever since, they haven't been able to work together. And they went to mediation and like talked it out, went through the whole process. And there was no agreement that was needed, right? Because they just basically needed to get it out and to talk to each other. And once that was done, no formal agreement was needed. But in other situations, it might be needed where the parties are agreeing that we're going to meet monthly to talk about performance expectations, you know, in in a work example. Um, So just getting really specific and detailing out what that's going to look like. And then a lot of times in the agreement, there'll be language that says if for some reason, parties aren't following this rather than going the Sioux route or something like that, we're going to come back to mediation. So part of what they agree to is to come back to mediation if things aren't working out or if another conflict or something arises. So it depends on the situation. And there's so many different types of conflict, right? There's relationships, there's work, there's neighbors. I would say in a community mediation situation, that's what comes up the most is like neighbors fighting about HOA rules or the tree being on someone's side of the property and not being trimmed. You know, things like that where agreements are very clearly going to be made of, okay, we're going to trim the tree by X date or here's what your responsibility is versus my responsibilities. But in a work situation, It just, again, it depends on what the conflict is and if there are specific measures that we can get both parties to agree to. So because there are lots of different types of conflict, I mean, you just gave a couple examples of the community-based ones with your neighbors, that (laughs) that happens for sure. Um, And then the work ones, which could be as crazy as like harassment claims. Are you walking this through a same like the same process every time? Like is there like a beginning, middle and end to every mediation? Like what did you learn in in your certification? Yeah. There is a process. Um what they say in the training is it doesn't always follow like the steps, right? Like in a perfect world, mm-hmm. it would be step A, B and C, but In the real world, that doesn't always happen, and so you have to be able to flex and kind of go with the flow. But in an ideal mediation situation, you usually start with what's called case development, which is where one party comes to you with a conflict and is essentially asking for help or some type of mediation. So you get some background information from that person, and then you reach out to the other party and say, hey, I was reached out to about this conflict. I want to see if you'd be open to participating in mediation. Here's what that process looks like. Because what's really important about mediation is it's voluntary, right? Both parties have to voluntarily agree to come to the table and have this open discussion. That first step is you're kind of talking to both parties about the process and getting them to agree and then kind of setting that up. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the next step is you actually have the mediation 
where you've got both parties um, in the meeting and they give kind of their opening statement, for lack of a better term. I know this sounds like very legalese, but they give their opening statement of like, here's my perception of what happened. Here's my perception of what happened. Mm -hmm. And then from there, that's when the mediator really starts asking those probing questions to to better, yeah, to get to the facts and and really be able to define like, what are the issues? Because Sometimes there's multiple issues within one conflict, right? There's the lack of trust. So how are we going to address that issue? You know, there's um, a pay disparity issue in a workplace example. So how are we going to address that? So defining like what all the pieces are to the issue and then being able to work at them each individually to come up with an agreement. So that's kind of that next step where you're exploring the different options, the parties are collaborating, talking, coming up with ideas. Mm -hmm. And then that last step is the writing of the agreement or actually having that formal resolution. So sometimes it skips around. Like like I said, it just depends on the scenario, but that's kind of in a perfect world how that would um, flush out. Yeah, I imagine you'd uh, you'd have to go off script quite a bit just because you don't know what somebody's going to say, how they're going to feel. Maybe they don't say anything, and it's not something you could probably just open up your manual and follow like a, a process. I mean, like I said, people are very nuanced, and it could be complicated. To probably walk through some of these situations. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Every person deals with conflict differently, so there are situations where you're going to get a party yelling, right? Or wanting to talk over the person. Or you could have someone that's just really quiet and not saying a whole lot. And that doesn't benefit the process, right? If you've got one person doing all the talking and the other party taking a back seat. So yeah, a large part of the training was talking through those scenarios, what that might look like and talking through like how to get that person talking if it's a scenario where they're really quiet and also how to deal with someone who is just elevated and raising their voice and not letting the other person talk. So I didn't mention this earlier, but usually at the beginning of a mediation process, you give the ground rules. And one of the ground rules is Please allow each other, you know, time to speak and not talk over each other and that type of thing so that if that's not being followed later, it allows that opportunity for the mediator to jump in and say, as I mentioned in the beginning, we're going to let each other have our time to speak and we'll definitely come back to you if you have additional questions or things to say. Yeah, there's so many different things that can happen and and just like really being flexible I bet. Um, <laughs> to be able to shift based on what that scenario needs. Well, one thing that comes to mind is what if you have two people that are just so far apart with their their version of the reality and you're like trying to ask the questions to get to bring them closer together or to, to come to some sort of agreement, but it's just not happening. Like they're just on different sides of the world according to their version of it. Have you ran into that situation and how would you how'd you handle that? Yeah, I haven't run into it personally just because I'm I'm so new to this. You know, I just kind of finished things up. So I'm really looking to put these things that I've learned into play as I kind of progress and move through my career. But that definitely came up in the training. And so we talked about how if you're in a situation where you're at a standstill and it doesn't seem like there's really any movement towards that forward thinking process, 
um, is when it might be time to call what's called a caucus, which is just another word for like a private meeting. It's basically where you meet privately with each person. Um, That way there's, there's not that heat of the moment of having both people in there and just stuck in their position. So you meet individually with each of them to ask the same questions that you're asking, but really kind of force an answer more of rather, you know, ask more direct questions. You can ask those closed ended potentially yes or no questions. You know, is this mediation process working for you? Because there are some scenarios where mediation isn't the best route to go. You know, um, there are some situations where it's arbitration or it's going to get to litigation, right? And there's, there's nothing we can do. It's just a lot of times a really great first step. And and learning and asking those questions in private, separate sessions with each party can also help you better understand, like, is mediation going to work for them? Because if if one party in that private session says, I don't care what happens today, I'm suing this person, right. or, you know, I'm, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. It does seem like the only way it's going to work is if both parties walk in understanding and abiding to the ground rules that you'd set forth. Like, if one person is not going to participate or lie or you know tell a very confusing story that doesn't align with the other person's then it's not going to work. Yeah, there's court-ordered mediation a lot of times like in in a situation where you know our court systems are very overwhelmed and so a lot of times the court will say before you can actually take your case to court try to go through mediation and see if that works for you. So there's this like conversation in the mediation world of like well, if it's mandatory court-ordered mediation, is it really going to work? Because it's not voluntary anymore, right? Um, And they're only going to get out of it as much as they put into it. You know, there's that piece of the puzzle where it really does need to be voluntary. And one way to kind of help the parties see if mediation is going to work for them or encourage them to really give their all to the mediation process is to talk to them about like what their worst case scenario and what their best case scenario is. A lot of times like asking in those private meetings or those caucuses, asking what is it going to look like if you don't reach an agreement today? Again, painting that picture for the person of like, wow, if I don't come to an agreement today, I could get sued or like what's all the terrible things that could happen potentially if we don't resolve this peacefully or in, in a in a good way and then what is the best case scenario right one one party may say we go to court and i win right so just painting the picture for them of all the different best and worst case scenarios that could come out of this can really help drive the process forward because it'll help people to see that it it might be better if i really do fully participate in this process and be able to come to an agreement that's on my own terms rather than what a court is going to order for me or you know what someone in litigation is going to say I have to do. You got certified in mediation at a very interesting time. And I imagine you you probably got certified because I don't know if you had more time on your hands or maybe mediation was just always on your radar, but in this COVID world I'm sure mediation is happening virtually. How? I mean, you're missing the body language component to it. Maybe some people aren't comfortable with technology. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of challenges coming with this virtual mediation. What have you seen so far? Is it is it still effective? Yeah, it is virtual, um, and there's pros and cons to that, right? I would say what I'm noticing or the biggest pro is that 
a lot of times the uncomfortableness of people wanting to engage with mediation is that they don't want to face the person in person, right? Because traditionally mediation is conducted in the same room with the person, which adds a totally different dynamic to the situation, right? Um, So I would say one pro is that you don't have to face that person in the same room, right? For lack of a better term, we can do it virtually. And I still need to see your face, right? You still need to have your camera on and engage in that way. But I feel like it allows for people to be more honest and open because they're in their own space at home in an environment that they're comfortable without that person within the same room to add that that level of discomfort. So I would say that's that's the biggest pro of it is I feel like it's made people more comfortable with the notion of mediation and with engaging in the process. Also, it's made it more accessible, right? Because before having to be in the same room and schedule a certain day or time to go out to the mediation center or meet at a certain location, all the logistics of like planning that out with your day-to-day life was a challenge before. And now it's so easy for us to just not have to factor in travel time and and all that other stuff for, for mediations. But then, you know, the double-edged sword or or the other part of that conversation is sometimes it's really helpful to have them in the same room, right? And that uncomfortableness will help them push past the mediation. Whereas when it's virtual and you see each other again later someday, right? In the distant future when we're we're seeing each other um, in person, what is that going to be like? Because you broke the ice virtually, right? And you've resolved it virtually. But is there going to be any lingering uncomfortableness, per se, when you actually come into contact with each other um, directly or in person? And it is harder to view body language, right? So we're virtual, so I can see your head and usually your shoulders, right? So I'm picking up on your eye language, your body language, that type of thing, but you don't see the rest of the person's body. So some people might fidget and tap, right, which you can't really see, but that's important to note in mediation because you could say, okay, this person might be experiencing some nervousness and you can ask more direct questions about how are you feeling right now and really getting at disarming that person for lack of a better term or like just getting them to feel more comfortable in the process. So when you can only see their face, it's harder to gauge how the rest of their body is reacting or how the rest of them are feeling. Well, congratulations on getting certified. You know, I... I'm having all sorts of flashbacks because I myself was a peer mediator in middle school. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I got to use my my mediation skills a couple different times. And I just remember it being pretty cool how you could break down barriers. Like there's conflict between a couple students and I was able to, you know, solve the problems there. It was pretty fun. I can imagine as an adult, it's just the issues become a lot grander and yeah <laughs> probably more complicated <laughs> more serious. very serious yeah but yeah congratulations on not it. just tommy stole my toy exactly <laughs> yeah well nicole thanks for coming on this is this is fun and i can't wait to check in with you in the future and see how all of it's going absolutely thank you so much for having me